Recovery Elevator, episode 253. And I'm not only lying to them, but I'm lying to myself. And holy shit, it was so easy to do it. How could it be so easy to lie to yourself like this? Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Val. She took her last drink on June 26th, 2019. She's 30 years old. She's from Fort Collins, Colorado. And in her interview, she talks about how she and her husband quit drinking around the same time and how they used to always validate their drinking together. She also talks about how she kicked her ADD meds at the same time. Great job, Val. So Merry Christmas. This is a big week. And I want you guys to remember that alcohol is shit. And it won't make Christmas any better. In fact, it could make it much worse. You may fall into the tree, pass out in a pumpkin pie, and if that doesn't put a damper on the holidays, well, the shame, the guilt, and the hangovers most likely will. But if you do find yourself drinking, sipping on the eggnog, do me a favor and don't beat yourself up. All right, we got some announcements before we get started. Numero uno, we've got a new Cafe RE group titled Cafe RE Up, which launches January 1st. We started Cafe RE Go last January 1st, and it's full of rock stars, many of whom haven't touched the booze since last January. So if you're thinking about taking the plunge into a way better life, then this is a fantastic opportunity. All signups for the month of January will be placed in this accountability group. I bring in some sobriety rock stars from the other groups to help get the momentum started, and then, well, we all collectively depart from the alcohol together. I can't wait to get this group started. Numero dos. This year's Recovery Elevator live event, Dancing with the Mind, will take place downtown at the Hilton Garden Inn in Denver, Colorado, Thursday, June 11th to Saturday, June 14th. And when I say live, I mean the music for the group meditations are performed live as we collectively work on calming the mind. You'll learn how to depart from the past by reconditioning the body to a new mind. You'll learn how to manifest your future self that no longer drinks alcohol and draw that future life to you like a magnet. You'll understand how this is possible by tapping into the quantum field. And of course, you'll build those in-person connections with others who no longer welcome alcohol in their lives. This event is open to spouses or significant others, and there will be specific breakout sessions for them as well. Registration goes live for this event on January 1st for Cafe RE members and January 8th for everyone else. Oh yeah, and I'm recording this episode in the mezcal capital of the world, Oaxaca. A mezcal is an offshoot of tequila. And you know who won't be trying any mezcal? This guy. So the audio may sound a little different in this episode and future episodes, so don't be alarmed if you hear a mariachi band in the background. I'm taking one month of Spanish classes in the morning and then doing Recovery Elevator in the afternoon. After that, I'm going to Australia where I'll be doing two Recovery Elevator meetups, then New Zealand, and then I'll be volunteering at Hope Rehab in Thailand again where I'll meet up with 30 plus sober rock stars for the Recovery Elevator Asia Adventure Trip that starts on January 20th. We actually got a couple spots left, so love to have you. And you should join me on this trip via Instagram. You can find me at Recovery Elevator. So, Oaxaca. Why Oaxaca, Mexico? Well, let me begin by saying in the past year and a half, some interesting things have happened in my life, especially in the past six to eight months, and with more frequency as of late. 
I've wanted to share these experiences with you, the Recovery Elevator audience, but I haven't. Well, because mostly fear. Another reason is it's difficult for the thinking mind to understand the events and then to try to put them into words. So it's tough to explain, but I'll do my best. Another reason is it inevitably opens the door for different dialogue and I don't know how well it's gonna be received. It's totally the unknown for me as well. It also hints at a new direction that I'd like to take some of these podcast episodes. I think you'll find it interesting. I take that back. I know you'll find this interesting, but I know some as well at the same time won't like the trajectory and that's okay. So overall, I'm confident I'm ready and you're ready. So I was telling someone the other day about some of the events that have taken place in my life and how I ended up in Oaxaca. And they asked me if I've shared any of these events with the audience. And so I said no. And they were like, Paul, I think you need to because it's all applicable to addiction. So I'll be sprinkling in accounts of what I used to call crazy, but is now becoming the new norm in this and future episodes. So Oaxaca, meditation has been a big part of my recovery the past year and a half. I was meditating this past June, and all of a sudden, Oaxaca, the name, the city, everything, just showed up. I wasn't thinking about travel. I wasn't thinking about Mexico. I was in a pretty calm state, and then, with no reason to not decipher what it was, it was Oaxaca. Shortly after that, Oaxaca started showing up in film, TV, Netflix episodes on the internet. I remember one day I was buying lunch, and the couple behind me started talking about Oaxaca, I heard it one time walking down the street. Somebody just mentioned the word Oaxaca. The kicker was when my mom sent me a wooden frog in the mail. There was no story or note in the package. It was just a purple wooden frog with black dots on it. I found it a little strange, but I put it on my, uh, my kitchen table and didn't think much more of it. A couple weeks later, my mom shows up to visit and says, Hey, I see you got your wooden frog. It's from Oaxaca. Right at that moment, I said, okay, get the point, uh, started researching language schools, and here I am in Oaxaca. I'm not too sure exactly why I'm supposed to be here. I've been here for seven days, and I can already tell you, it's been a lot of fun. I've been able to relax, um, and I'm seeing Mexico from a new lens. And I can tell you 100% that alcohol-free Mexico is way better than what I was drinking down here. In fact, in 2003 or 2004, I came to Rosarito, Mexico for spring break my junior year. And prior to visiting, somebody said, don't drink on the streets. It's illegal in Mexico. Well, the first thing I did after getting out of the car was open up a beer on the street. I'm not sure if I didn't believe the person that told me that, but within five minutes, I found myself in the back of a Federale Mexican police truck headed to the Mexican jail. There's two of us. We didn't have enough money to bail ourselves out of jail, so we had to wait till the sun came up. As soon as light started to show on the horizon, they came up and said, Hey, Pablo, Pedro, it's my buddy Pete, uh, you guys ready to go? They gave us back our shoelaces and we were on our way. It sucked. So I can tell you right now, being in this country sober with a new lens is so much better. Okay, thanks for sticking with me. Let's get started. Sobriety is your superpower. And an offshoot of that superpower I'm deepening with is putting the body and mind in a state of calm where nudges, sign, hints, and wisdom can enter like, hey, Paul, you should go to Oaxaca. It's cool shit. So first off, let me cover the asterisks next to this episode. You're not going to quit drinking and have this refined and mastered superpower day one. Do you think Spider-Man's first day as Spider-Man was him tossing webs across the skyscrapers and tying up heaps of bad guys? 
No, his webs missed the mark, and he probably put his uniform on backward a couple times, probably practiced tying up his dog. So what is this superpower exactly? It's your ability to manage emotions, thoughts, and feelings without an external substance. And it's when we get our thoughts, feelings, and emotions on the same page is when you become supernatural. Your superpower is the ability to be fully tapped into the body, mind, spirit, emotions, and energies that you experience on a day-to-day basis. So let's dive into this superpower a little deeper. You've heard me say on this podcast many times that your decision to live alcohol-free in the workforce, in your work environment, is an asset and not a liability. I know I hear so many stories all the time of what they think will happen if their boss finds out or superior or somebody else in the company finds out that they don't drink or they have a sponsor or they go to a meeting. I can tell you right now, I've heard hundreds of these stories as well as my personal accounts that this always goes in your favor. This is a total asset and not a liability. Superheroes usually live longer lives and you're going to live longer as well. Your level of presence when you quit drinking will drastically increase. We've all been around that person who might as well be sending an email or a text while you're speaking with them. You're no longer going to be that person. The energy field surrounding your body, the life force, will become more coherent. When you quit drinking, you're going to find you have more money in the bank. You are going to be more empathetic to yourself and everyone and everything you encounter. When you ditch the booze, you're no longer running away or saying no to life. You're saying yes. Internally, that's going to help out a lot. When you quit drinking, and maybe not in the first month or so, but you're going to be all the feel-good emojis. You'll begin living in a state of praise or gratitude. Along with a superpower is resentments, grudges, and things you can't seem to let go. You'll see that they are weighing you down and you'll just drop them. Oh, here's a big one with this superpower. You're going to start asking for help. Coupled on with that, equally weighed it is, you're going to start receiving the help that others want to give you. Your heart will begin to open and you'll prefer to live life in that space instead of the mind. You'll begin to look at the past with tremendous gratitude, for it's what gave you this superpower. Viewing the past with this lens does wonders for depression. You'll be able to set boundaries. You'll be able to say no. When you quit drinking, physical systems are going to start balancing out again. Your digestion should improve. Your heart no longer is pumping contaminated blood. And overall, your well-being will improve. You'll start addressing the issues that have been holding you back in life. Joy will enter your life again. At first, it will take time, and it will be like that wild animal that shows up and leaves just as fast. But within time, you'll begin to cultivate the environment for this inner peace. Another superpower is you're going to find out who you aren't. And now that you're not spending as much time on a bar stool, you've got time to figure out what you like doing, be it travel, fly fishing, running, reading, connecting with others in nature, whatever. And if you're single and wondering how sobriety will affect your dating life, well, it's also a superpower in this realm as well. All the qualities that someone is looking for in a partner are these. Everyone is looking for someone with these superpowers, and that's you. This isn't an arrow in the back, but a tremendous superpower. If you've quit drinking and haven't experienced these superpowers, do me a solid and just keep moving forward. And if you haven't taken the plunge, know the greatest opportunity in life still awaits. And before we hear from Val, let's hear from HelloFresh. 
With HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit, get easy seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. All you have to do is cook and enjoy. Home-cooked meals made simple. HelloFresh makes cooking delicious meals at home a reality, regardless of your comfort in the kitchen. Say goodbye to endless grocery store trips and takeout food. HelloFresh has you covered. Make deliciousness part of your every week. Break out of your dinner rut with HelloFresh's 20-plus seasonal chef-curated recipes each week. HelloFresh has more five-star recipes than any other meal kit, so you know you'll get something delicious. HelloFresh is flexible and fits your lifestyle. Add extra meals to your weekly order, as well as yummy add-ons like garlic bread and cookie dough. When drinking, we deprive the body of vital nutrients, and proper nutrition is key. My favorite meal with HelloFresh is the chicken cheddar fajitas. Prep time was 10 minutes, and it was super fun to make. Right now, for my audience, get nine free meals with HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com forward slash recoveryfresh9. That's the number nine. And use the promo code recoveryfresh9. Again, get nine free meals with HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com forward slash recoveryfresh9. That's the number nine. And then use the code recoveryfresh9. Now let's hear from Val. Val, how are you? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Val, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. I'm excited to have you on the podcast and to share your story with the listeners. And let's get right into this. When was your last drink? My last drink was June 26, 2019. Wow, so that's over four months uh, and some change. How you how you feel? I feel great, better than I ever have. Yeah, and listeners, I got an email from Val on October 2nd. And she said, a big part of my journey includes addiction to Adderall and Vyvanse. Those are both ADD medications. And really the kicker for me to get you on, Val, was how your husband also did, your husband of two years has done this journey with you. And he's been sober uh, for over four or five months at this moment. So I'm eager to dive into your story because I know all these stories involve other substances, behaviors, ideas, concepts that not, that might not be conducive uh, to living a healthy life. So we're going to blend it all together. I know people are going to get a lot out of this interview, but before we continue, you mentioned you're nervous about the interview before we hit record. How are you feeling right now, Val? Um, you know, I'm still a little nervous, but I'm ready. I, I've been wanting to tell my story for a long time, so I'm excited. Good. Yeah, I'm excited to hear it. And I just want to let you know, Val, the listeners that are listening right now are some of the most supportive, encouraging, and loving people you will ever come across. And you're part of it, right? You, you email, you said you're an avid listener to the podcast. So thank you for listening. It's just a bunch of Val's out there and Paul's listening and everybody is supporting the next 30 to 45 minutes. Are you ready to do it? I'm ready. All right. Yeah. Well, give give listeners a little background about yourself, Val, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age. Do you have a family? And what do you like to do for fun? Sure. So I am 30 years old. I am from Fort Collins, Colorado. I grew up, though, in the suburbs of Chicago. I currently work for a software company remotely, so I get to work from home, which is super awesome. I have a husband, and I'm also one of five children, and I have four step-siblings as well. My family is kind of spread out all over the country, so that's pretty neat. And what do you like to do for fun, Val? What I like to do for fun, I like to golf, uh, walk my dog. I like to do some crafty things like crochet and make like decorations for the holidays to cook. I like to ski. Really, anything outside is great, too. 
Has your level of craftiness increased without the alcohol? You know, I actually haven't dabbled in it as much as I should be sober because I, I found it to be a little bit triggering at first because I definitely enjoyed some wine when I did my craft. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> but my level of completion with craft has increased. <laughs> there we go. I knew we'd tease some sort of benefit out of this. Level of completion, benefit of sobriety, you can finish projects. Yeah. Real quick, what kind of dog do you have and what's uh, what's your dog's name? Okay, my dog's name is Aspen. She is a shepherd husky mix, just 40 pounds though. She's a rescue, crazy little dog. There we go. What, what was Aspen's take on your decision to quit drinking? You know, that was probably the first major change I saw in my life with my dog's behavior, which is interesting because she was getting better at exercise. There was less tension in the house. So I'm sure she's very happy with the decision. Yeah. You answered that perfectly because the animals are super sensitive to the, to, uh, the energy in the house. And uh, yeah, it's just interesting. Okay, let's get into this, Val. Give listeners background with your drinking. When did you start? When did you first realize it was perhaps a problem? Talk to us about how much you used to drink. Did you attempt to moderate? Did you have a rock bottom moment? And then was June 26th, the date of your last drink, was that the first time you tried to quit? Um, I'm excited to hear your story and, and try to give us ages as you get us up to speed. Okay. So I'm sure like a lot of listeners, um, my first drinking bouts were when I was like 14, 15 in high school, usually just on the weekend. And then probably towards like junior, senior year, there was more drinking sometimes on weeknights as well. But it wasn't till college that it really became almost a daily activity. And that is when I also was prescribed initially with Adderall. So the two of those combined, you know, led to longer drinking sprees with, you know, the ability to get your life back together the next day, which created a little bit of a problem there. Through college, I started working at a lot of bars, which for me kind of validated my drinking because I was constantly surrounded with people who, in my perspective, had a worse problem than I did, you know, customers and even coworkers that were drinking often around me. So through college, I was continuing to work at those bars. And then even when I graduated from college, I stayed in the restaurant industry for a little while. That is when I really noticed the problem began. And I think primarily because I was no longer with those college-age kids who are going out every weekend and going to class and it seems normal. It became more of a drinking habit at home between my husband and I. But real quick, Val, um, I want to comment on what you said earlier yeah. is how you validated your drinking. And we've heard it so many times on this podcast is the people we surround ourselves with almost unconsciously. We choose a group of friends who are at the same level of drinking and actually a step higher so we can validate it. We can say, well, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not like Tim, Susie, Joe or Michelle. Uh, I'm good. And especially in the restaurant industry, I was my background, owned the bar, came back, worked in restaurants. And for a long time, I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't have a problem because all these people, they're going big. And so I love it how, well, we love it, but it's, it's, we validate our drinking, whether the other people around us or we'll validate it internally and say, this is okay because X, Y, and Z. So I love how you said that you val you're uh, you're seven minutes in and you just dropped a huge value bomb. You're doing great. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Keep going. All righty. So, so now that uh, my drinking habit had kind of turned into really just my husband and I drinking a lot at home, that's when the Adderall really came into play. Uh, I, I started to really view my husband's drinking as a serious problem because 
in my mind, um, you know, Adderall really makes you productive, even if you're hungover. I was not failing. I was doing great. I wasn't drinking as nearly as much as he was when, you know, in all reality, I was drinking the same amount. And, you know, that progressed for a while to the point where, you know, I started to take my prescriptions more than needed to keep that recovery going every day. And Val, real quick, can you give us ages? Uh, how old were you when you recognized the Adderall was helping you be more productive, but also you recognized that your husband was drinking more than you? Uh, how old were you at this moment? So that was probably around 24, 25. Um, and we weren't married at this point, but we were living together. So from the outside, you know, we, we were able to make it look like our lives were really kept together and the drinking wasn't really a problem, primarily because I was taking so much Adderall or Vyvanse, depending on the month, to be honest. We were able to make it seem like we had no, nothing going on that was to be concerned to our families and friends. But did you um, have an idea that something was going on at age 24, 25? You said you were you were aware of the Adderall, but were you aware of the alcohol going in a in an unhealthy route? Uh, I would say so. So yeah, definitely around that time is when my um, husband and I started to notice that we needed to control it and moderate a little bit. We would go, you know, through the weeks and say, okay, no, no drinking Monday through Thursday, only on the weekends. And very rarely did we ever succeed in that. And same with trying to, you know, switch the liquor for beer and wine. The beer would just sit in our fridge and we'd go buy some liquor. <laughs> yeah, wow. So what uh, I'm hearing is you and your husband somewhat embarked upon this journey almost six years ago together, right? Or started at least. Yeah, we really did. Uh, it, it became, you know, a joint addiction, but luckily it also became a joint recovery for us. Whoa, that is so cool. Yeah. So we'll fast forward um, a few years. And this past April is when we decided to make our serious attempt to get sober. I still had, had the mentality at this time that my husband's problem was worse than mine. So we decided that he would go to a rehab center. And he went and he did detox there and came home. And he stayed on his path pretty, pretty well. And I'd say we were sober for probably a few weeks there until I went out of town and we both kind of relapsed separately. I hate to say relapse, though, because at that time we weren't working any kind of program. Yeah, and this is this year, like June or summer, like April, May this year? I'm yeah, that's April of this year. Okay, and let me back it up a little bit. From age 24 to mm -hmm. your 30 right now, in between there, were there some significant moments where the writing was on the wall? Like, look, we need to quit, you need to quit, or I need to quit, or something needs to change here. Or was it a culmination of you could see the progression and it was just like a long downward slog? It was a long downward slog. It, it almost happened so quickly. It's interesting to say that because it was over many, many years. But the quick progression of our drinking was just so surprising. And, you know, we went from a happy couple who could have a few drinks together to, oh, my gosh, how are we fighting again? What happened last night? And it just kept going and going until we could no longer drink normally ever again. <laughs> Gotcha. So here we are halfway through this year. Husband goes to treatment, gets a couple weeks of sobriety. You're both apart. Uh, you both relapse. Pick it up from there. Okay. So we both started drinking again somewhat separately because I was out of town. And then when I returned from that trip, my husband decided to get back on the, you know, being sober. And I said I was going to do the same. But this is when uh, my my addiction with the Adderall and the Vyvanse really came into play again. I was able to stay sober during the times that I was taking the meds because I was getting my high from somewhere else. But as I was abusing the meds, I'd run out early 
from the month's supply, and that's when I would turn to drinking again. So within that month of my husband staying sober, I ran out of my meds. I went back to drinking and probably went on until, well, until my sobriety date um, of June 27th. Gotcha. So your meds ran out and you said, screw it, I'm just going to replace the meds with extra alcohol. But something happened there. You didn't go back and refill the meds when the month was up, which you probably could have done, which you probably did before. Something happened, right? It sounds like your husband already had some momentum going on with his decision to move forward in life without alcohol. Yeah, I'm curious what happened. What was the tipping point there for you? So I didn't include this detail before, but we, you know, when we both got sober for the second time, or, you know, we said we were, we started going to AA pretty regularly. I got myself a sponsor. So did my husband and he stayed on his sober path. I kept going to the meetings and meeting with my sponsor and I was still drinking the entire time, daily, before the meetings, after the meetings, you know, what, what have you. And I know people say they have this like spiritual enlightening moment sometimes when they're on their journey to get sober. And I truly believe that's what happened to me. I was drinking alone for, you know, over a month hiding in my closet <laughs> And one night I went to throw the bottles away and I just had this dark overcoming feeling looking at the bottles, like, what have I done? I've been hiding this from my husband. I've been hiding this from my sponsor. All of my new friends that I've met in AA think I'm sober and I'm not only lying to them, but I'm lying to myself and holy shit, it was so easy to do it. How could it be so easy to lie to yourself like this? And listeners, that's what we've heard countless times on this podcast is the moment of clarity where the unconscious mind, that default program, takes a break and you can see a snapshot of everything up to that date without any judgment, labels, or identity, and you can see it for what it is. And you probably saw it and you're like, wait a second, this is not the trajectory I want my life to go. There wasn't any criticism, any shame or guilt. It was, I imagine it was it was a peaceful moment. Am I hearing that right? It was. It I wish I could better describe the feeling, but um, it was peaceful, but it was also very dark. And, you know, it, it just, I, my brain just, it, I knew, I knew there was nothing else I could do for myself for the rest of my life, but to be sober when the real journey began for me. <laughs> That's a great way to talk about that moment of clarity. It's hard to describe, but as I mentioned, you get a clear snapshot of your life without any judgments or labels. You can see it. And I had it too. And many of others have had on the podcast. You can see where your life is going. And I could see like the shit storm that I was in. I could say like, man, this sucks. Like this, this is a shitty life right now, but it wasn't attached with the original old song of the shame, guilt, the victim mentality. And then you're able to make the decisions and how we reach that moment of clarity. That's what I call the tipping point. And that is, I think, episode 208. And I talk about this the last interview, too. So two in a row here. That's when the energetic momentum around your decision to quit drinking actually rivals the energetic momentum of the addiction. It's like this flat line where the teeter-totter is like flat in space. And you're able to get the snapshot of where you came from and where you go where and where you're going to go if changes aren't made, but you're right in the sweet spot of the present moment. That's how powerful the present moment is. Just that glimpse for you sounds like it launched you forward in your recovery. And, and talk to us what happened after that moment of clarity. Okay, so after that moment of clarity, I, I ended up staying up all night, and I'm just going to tell this this next 24 hours because it's pretty crucial, and waited for my husband to wake up for work the next day, and I had to tell him, obviously, that I'd been drinking, and, you know, it was a very emotional moment. He obviously had known about it, but was not, you know, he wanted me to make the step on my, on my own and uh, make the deci decision to stop drinking. 
So we had that conversation. Um, you know, I waited a few more hours and I then emailed my doctor, which is a tip that I learned from a previous podcast um, with Chris. And I emailed my doctor, told her what was going on with me and to immediately stop prescribing me any medication. Oh, that's right. Um, so I that, love this strategy. Yeah. This is just burning um, the bridges. Yeah. Email the doctor, say, do not prescribe me anymore. Way to burn the ships. Yeah. I mean, it was a great feeling until I pressed send and then was like, oh shit, <laughs> I'm never going to get those meds again. But you know, four months later, I'm pretty, pretty happy that I didn't get them. So then, you know, later on in the day, I, I talked to some of my family as well and told them, you know, I've been lying to you kind of where I was. And I also reached out to my sponsor, um, talked her through everything that had happened. And we set up our next meeting to start going through the steps again. Yeah. So let's let's discuss this major torching of the ships that I'm hearing. You sent the email to your psychiatrist, say, do not prescribe these meds again. You come up, you, you, you get clean with your husband. You talk to your friends and family. I know you said family. Uh, was this all in like mm -hmm. a two-day period, a one-day period? This was in like 12 hours. <laughs> okay, this is, this is 12 hours. And listeners, this is the power of burning the ships. And you freaking just put gasoline on them and torched them all at once. It's yeah. scary. But talk to us what happens next when you create that amount of accountability. It did exactly what I wanted. I didn't want to go back. I could no longer go back. I had so many people in my life, every single person I told um, about what was going on and what I wanted to do was so incredibly supportive. Even old drinking friends, I know that there's been some discussion that before that some of those friends filter away, which they do eventually. Um, but even some of those friends came you know, to me for that day to just kind of hold me and be that emotional support because I had nothing left after burning all those bridges. I, it was a tearful day. But to be honest, if I hadn't done it all in such a quick period, I probably would not have been able to stop drinking. And Val, can we dive a little deeper into your thought and emotions, your feelings? How did you know you had to burn the ships at that magnitude? Was it, was it a gut feeling? Was it a thought? What happened? So throughout you know, my tenure of drinking, I did make it pretty, I insisted to my family and friends that my husband had a drinking problem and I had you know, it was terrible. He was suffering. I couldn't help him. And so for me, it was really that need to be completely honest and let everybody know that, hey, I have the drinking problem too. This is not just him. I've pinned him to be this bad person, you know, and for you to look at our lives, like I'm trying to save us when in, in all reality here, I, I was suffering too. So that was a big part of it. And really, I wanted everybody to be there for me and to know that I needed support and I needed them now. And it sounds like you've been confronted with nothing but love and encouragement from everyone. And I know when I, when I first told people, I thought everyone was going to run for the hills. I didn't experience that. And it sounds like you didn't either. No, I, I was fully supported. And I really haven't come across any you know, situations where people question why I'm not drinking, which has been really great for me. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, sometimes your drinking friends will fade away. But even those people, when I told them that I don't want to drink anymore, even those people were so supportive. And then within a year or two or maybe six months, they faded away as this as it's supposed to happen on this journey. And um, how has it been without the amphetamines, without uh, without Vivance and Adderall? And, and first off, Val, I just want to say nice job because that that's a big shock to the system. I was I didn't do both at the same time. I I, I stopped taking Adderall and Vivance I think two and a half years in, and that was a tough one. In fact, I was cleaning out a cabinet 
the other day and I saw uh, a notebook that had the, the titration schedule on it. And I wrote down the milligrams, the date, the milligrams and what time I woke up and a quick line of how I felt that day. And it was like six weeks of just shit. So <laughs> nice job. Real quick, but but I want to mention that my focus is way better off these meds. Again, I'm not a doctor, but I didn't have ADD. Um, I had difficulty staying in the present moment. The present moment was a little too painful for me, and I was con continually departing from the present moment, and I used alcohol to do that. So how has it been for you off the ADD meds? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that one. It, I used Adderall and Vyvanse, and I'm using the, them interchangeably because I was on both at different times. But I use them to escape the present moment. Um, and if you've ever taken those medications before, and if you take a little higher than your dosage that's recommended, it really takes you away from where you're, you're, you're supposed to be in the present moment. My focus now, I think it's just similar to you. I never really think I had ADD. Uh, I started taking the meds in college to make me focus on things I wasn't interested in. So yeah, I don't get my house as clean as I used to be able to do, and I'm not as hyper-focused on organization, but I'm a more whole person now without it. Yeah, let me put it this way, Val. I quit ADD meds and then wrote a book that's a bestseller on Amazon right, right now. <laughs> and, and Recovery Elevator was like putting along. It was doing just fine, and then I quit my ADD meds, and we're doing like retreats, all the sober travel, wrote a book. I mean, it's, I'm, it's incredible. Uh, just my personal experience with that. <laughs> so, Val... Talk to us about some challenges that you've, you've encountered this last four and a half months. Have you had any cravings? Has there been a close time where you thought about drinking again? So I, of course, have had cravings. You know, they're, they're tapering now. I don't get them nearly as often. But like I said at the beginning, I worked from home, which, which before was a big trigger for me. I really enjoyed drinking um, at home during the work day. So that oftentimes, you know, has been a trigger for me. But Something that you have talked about on many podcast episodes is that I play the tape forward. And even if I'm in a situation where people are drinking wine and gosh, that one glass just looks so good. I know that I'm not going to just have one glass of wine. I know that my life is going to be a train wreck again if I ever touch alcohol. And Val, walk us through a typical day. Sounds like AA was a part of your journey. Do you still go to AA? What resources are you finding beneficial? So AA is still a huge part of my journey. I go to um, at least two, sometimes three meetings a week. I have a sponsor that she's already walked me through all 12 steps. And I actually just found myself a sponsee yesterday. So that's pretty exciting. But you know, a normal day for me is I try to get up at the same time every morning, take a walk, do a little daily reflection, jump right into work. And keeping a routine for me is, is really important. Honestly, walking my dog is a huge part of that. Sometimes she's getting like three to four walks a day. <laughs> But other resources that have been great, uh, your podcast, of course, uh, I listen to Recovery Happy Hour every once in a while. And there's a couple more I can't think of the names of right now. But if you search recovery, you know, in the iTunes, you'll find plenty of podcasts there. AA, though, has been the biggest kind of survival resource for me, because as with working from home, I, I lack that connection with other people pretty often. So having a place to go and be surrounded by people who are fighting the same battle as me has just been super key to my recovery. I'm also in the Cafe RE group on Facebook. I don't post like really ever. I'm kind of just a lurker, but it's still great and really important to me because those times I find myself scrolling through Facebook looking at garbage, 
I switch over to the Cafe RE page and I can read other people's inspiring stories or even comment on somebody who's looking for help. That's another really great resource. Val, thanks for listening. And you're right. There are, there are so many great recovery podcasts out there nowadays. When I first started, it wasn't like that. But now there's so many great resources and podcast format. Um, and thanks for being part of Cafe RE. I, I want to touch upon what you said is if you're a lurker, that's totally fine. And if you're, th- if listeners, if you're thinking about joining, you don't ever have to post and, and, I'd rec- I'd say like half the members never post, but we can see how often they check in. That's an option too, because if it's a little too shocked to the system to jump in there, start doing videos, posting videos, like you don't have to do that. You can just hang out in the background and and read. And I I want to chat with you about uh, you you and your husband. So I've gotten a bunch of emails asking me to cover what happens when a spouse quits drinking. This is episode 253, and in 251, I do my best to cover that. But when I did the research for that episode, I realized, wow, there are so many rabbit holes or different scenarios that could be covered. For example, if it's just somebody who wants to quit drinking, the other person's normal drinker, then you've got you. You're both perhaps problematic drinkers. What happens if one quits? What happens if both quits? What happens if one person quits and then the relationship totally changes? So it's, it's a tough topic to cover, but while I got you here... What has been your experience with doing this journey with your best friend, maybe with your husband? And what advice can you give to others out there? And and also keep in mind, we have normal drinkers who are listening as well. People who are listening in support of a husband. What can you say to them who they're living with a spouse and they want their spouse to quit drinking? Um, I just asked you 53 questions in one. So Val, just (laughs) roll with that. (laughs) Okay. I guess to give a little bit more light on um, my experience with it, I'll start with uh, before we got sober, my husband and I, we were going to couples therapy, which at this time was just laughable. Um, (laughs) You know, the first couple, the the first couple of sessions were, we had some things to talk about and then we got sober and the next five or six sessions after that, you know, I eventually asked the therapist, do you think we should really even be here? (laughs) Um, We found that it changed everything for us. I was really fearful that we would get sober and have nothing in common. And that's been the complete opposite. Uh, We've been able to rediscover our relationship as a couple, as friends. um, And it's just been pretty amazing there. Now, on the point of someone who's possibly listening for their spouse, you know, I think the most important thing you can do is guide them towards some resources and then step back. Um, There's no, there's no point in, working yourself up and causing arguments about someone else trying to get sober. Of course, if it's a dangerous or, you know, not a good situation for you to be living in, I would suggest getting out of that as soon as possible, but you can't help somebody else unless they're ready to help themselves. And that's been the hardest lesson I ever had to learn. And really at the same time with that is having an understanding of what alcohol addiction really is and knowing that somebody who's suffering with that, they aren't choosing to go get a drink. Even if they promise and promise and promise and then they go drink, it's not about you being on the other side of it. It's that person's problem and their suffering. They didn't want to drink. They they had no choice. Wow, I'm just going to copy and paste what you said and replace my whole dialogue for 153. <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah, I started getting to this topic and I'm like, whoa, I am in way over my head. And for example, with you, what happens if your husband quits drinking and, and you're, you don't? What, what do you think happens there? Well, I think in our situation, um, with the severity of our drinking, the, the, whoever decided to maintain their sobriety would probably not stick with the other. I don't think that would have been a successful relationship. 
at that point, I think what my husband did when I started drinking again was the right move was to step back and let me make that decision again on my own. But he did tell me in that situation that, that he was getting to that breaking point where he was going to have to confront me. So I, I think it's, it's all very situational, but my, my best advice is to give the other those resources that you can and step back and let them figure it out for themselves. Yeah. And the question is what's going to happen. I don't know, but I can tell you the relationship will change. The dynamic will always mm-hmm. change. It will never stay the same, but wouldn't you want to know? That's my question to listeners out there is don't you want to know? Because you know what you're going to get more of in the future. You're going to get this plus a progression of more shit and, uh, you know, more lies and all that stuff. So wouldn't you want to know? Um, one more question Val, before we, uh, fire off to the rapid fire round is referring to the quote, which I'm sure you've heard in the rooms of 12 steps is drinking is, but a symptom is an alcohol isn't the problem. It's covering something up. Do you know why you drank Val? Um, I think it really all started with wanting to be more comfortable in my own skin and yeah, alcohol really does that for you. I, I think it was really a self-esteem problem that, that started the drinking and, and then, it became an addiction so quickly for me that I don't really think that there was a ton of other symptoms that really, really drove me to drinking. Sure. Yeah. I know that works for a lot of people. We hear that. Oh, when you take that first drink, oh, I fit in. This is it. This is the magical elixir. This was, I, this is what I've been missing. And then we forge mm-hmm. this, this intense relationship with a substance called alcohol which is a spirit, right? I mean, some cultures view alcohol as a living spirit. Uh, and I feel like I lost my soul, almost lost my soul to that spirit alcohol. And it took me a while to get it back, <laughs> but it's been a fun journey. Yeah. Anyways. Actually, um, I like what yeah, you just going. said though about this. Sorry about the spirit. Um, it's a, it's a common conversation that's had in AA that if you leave those rooms, you're going to die. And, you know, sometimes I find that to be a little overdramatic, but the way I like to think of it is if, if I ever were to go drink again, I might not actually die, but my soul will die and my spirit will die. And I'll never have that ability to live my life to the fullest ever again. Wow, Val. I absolutely love that. You're right. And I've said on this podcast that quitting drinking, it's a matter of life and death. And we don't quite have to go to the severity of you're living or you're dying. But if you're alive and you're drinking, you're not actually living life to its fullest. So I love what you said there. And Val, actually, one more question before we hit the rapid fire round. What's the biggest lesson you've learned about yourself? Ooh, the biggest lesson I've learned, this might be kind of cliche, but that I can do anything. I don't have to work in a bar or restaurant for the rest of my life. I could really find any career path I wanted right now, and I can excel in it. Actually, Val, one more question before the rapid fire round. This episode is coming out right before Christmas and New Year's. What advice? Can you give to someone who's like, how in the hell am I going to make it through without eggnog spiked? Well, that's a great question. Um, I have yet to do my holidays sober, but I have been in some, you know, environments where I would like to be drinking already. My first tip would definitely be to burn those ships. Even if you're just telling one person that's going to be with you uh, to help you stay accountable, that's huge. Always keep like some water or, you know, a flavored sparkling water in your hand. <laughs> so no one ever asks you why you're not drinking. And then if you're comfortable and people are asking, just tell them, especially around the holidays, people are probably 
you know, going to be noticing their own drinking habits. And if somebody hears you telling your story, you never know who you could help. Bingo. You nailed it. Nice job, Val. Rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions within 30 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Okay. All right. What's a light bulb moment you've had on this journey? Ooh, a light bulb moment. I think the biggest light bulb moment for me has been that the connection is so important with other people and the lack of connection really did help, you know, my drinking continue. And what's a memorable moment of life without alcohol has given you? A memorable moment. This might be kind of cheesy, but I thought about this earlier and I want to say every single day has been a memorable moment since I've been sober. Ah, I love that answer. And what's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Ooh, well, I'm sure you've heard this before. I love some LaCroix, <laughs> uh, any sparkling water. And my bad habit drink is the Red Bull Pear Sugar-Free. Red Bull Pear Sugar-Free? Oh. It's sugar-free Red Bull Pear, yeah, it's Wow. It's, um, Interesting. It's pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Actually, right now I'm holding the Kirkland, like the Costco brand sparkling water, sparkling water with lime. It's pretty good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not bad. And you mentioned a couple earlier, but what are some of your, your top favorite resources? Uh, my favorite resources are any and all podcasts that I've listened to. I have read Annie Grace's book. I have read some of your book, Paul. And I am an avid believer in AA and finding a sponsor has been probably my top favorite resource what's, and cafe RE. <laughs> thank you very much. Val. <laughs> um, what's on your bucket list in an alcohol free life? So right now my focus is my job and I, this will be the first time in a while that I've had just one job in a year period. So I'm pretty excited about that. And in the near future, hopefully starting a family. There you go. And one last time, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? If you're on the fence about whether or not you should stop drinking, you should stop drinking. I think if you have any doubt in your mind that, that you're not going on the right path, listen to that doubt and reach out to somebody else close to you or through any of the resources Paul provides and find yourself a way to a better life. Yeah, and if you're on the fence, something's going to push you off. It either is going to be your external environment or you might as well just put yourself off and, and quit drinking. I love what you said. And before we depart, Val, give listeners your own customized You Might Need to Ditch the Booze If line. Mm, you might need to ditch the booze if you are literally drinking in your closet before you attend an AA meeting. <laughs> Yes, that will work. <laughs> Love it, Val. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. You did an absolute fantastic job. Thanks, Paul. It was really fun. While walking down the street in Oaxaca, I saw a symbol I recognized. It was a circle with a triangle in the middle, and I said, whoa, this must be a home group or an AA meeting. And right next to it was AA painted on the wall. It also had the schedule of when the group meets, the name of the group, etc. How awesome is that? Sometimes, even in America, it can be difficult to find where these groups are. In Latin America, in Mexico, where I found the stigma to be even stronger at times, they've got it painted right on the wall. And then a couple of nights later, I'm walking down the street. I see this room that's open. It's a little warm in Oaxaca. I see people sitting in chairs looking forward. I'm like, wait a second, what's going on? On the wall, I see the same thing. It's an AA meeting. This one, there's no wall. There's no doors. I walked up next to it, and I could hear what was going on. How cool is that? 
they took the anonymity component and just booted it like a soccer ball, or shall I say, a football. Way to go, Oaxaca. Recovery elevator, it all starts from the inside out. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. I love you guys. Thank you.